Welcome to Clinical Governance in Equine Practice, Practical Examples of Quality Improvement. The following session was recorded at Ashbrook Equine Hospital during the RCVS Knowledge Equine Roadshow, kindly sponsored by the Horse Race Betting Levy Board and accredited by the British Equine Veterinary Association. Alice Bird of the Animal Health Trust takes us through a post-operative complication that occurred in equine practice. Each step of the significant event audit is discussed to show in detail how a blame culture was avoided, how lessons were learnt from the event, and what processes were put in place to prevent the incident from recurring. Thanks. So, yeah, I'm going to talk mainly about auditing of significant events um, and how you can practically do this um, in your kind of day-to-day working environment. And (coughs) using an example of um, a case that Tim and I were involved in and how we kind of use the um, guidelines that RCBS Knowledge have out there um, that you can take into your practice. So the first thing is just really clarifying what we mean by significant events. So by this we mean basically any event thought by anyone in your team, so either the vets, the nurses, the receptionists, um, to be significant either in the care of the patients um, or in the conduct of your practice. Okay, so it's quite a broad kind of topic, basically covers anything anyone really thinks can be improved, I guess. Um, and within that it includes what we call critical events, so these are maybe like the near misses that Lewis was mentioning um, in the very first lecture today, so any unintended or un- unexpected incident which could have or um, in those really unfortunate cases did lead to either the harm um, for one or more patients and I'd also add into that, um, that's kind of the technical definition that is kind of out there in literature but I'd also add that to um, your staff as well, so any harm to your staff or your patients. Um, and I also in this kind of um, umbrella include any mortalities, because anything that dies even if we think everything went perfectly, um, I generally include that as well just so that we can check is the assumption true um, or actually could we do better next time. So that's what I would classify as something I would put under the umbrella of, of any significant event. So why are we going to audit significant events? Why why bother? Um, So the aim is really to ensure comprehensive, structured and thoughtful and crucially a less accusational investigation of analysis of events. So we want to go beyond the usual identification of what we typically happen where it's fault and blame. Okay, so and something goes wrong and an individual is kind of the last step in the process and that person is, it's your fault, it went, ha- it went wrong in your hands. Okay, so we want to move away from that and really look at what's gone on in all those 10, 20 steps before that's led to that final outcome. So as we sort of already discussed in the previous lectures, individual blame is really unhelpful and, and it often isn't the whole picture at all. So circumstances leading up to the final event, as I said, are often multifactorial. Um, if someone is involved um, and holds some responsibility, it very, very rarely in our profession is intentional. I think we can all say that we don't go out at the start of our day to cause harm to either one of our colleagues or um, one of our animals or um, kind of cause disruption within our practice. So it's not intentional and blame therefore is really unhelpful. And usually that person already has a high level of guilt and self-blame anyway. So they already feel pretty rubbish about themselves and and kind of adding blame and all the whole practice talking about it doesn't really help at all. Um, It doesn't reduce the reoccurrence of incidents, okay, because you're not addressing actually all those underlying causes that are 99.9% of the problem. Um, and individual blame without actually analysing the event properly can be detrimental. It discourages people um, to kind of admit that things have gone wrong. Um, it generally makes that person feel even worse than they did at the beginning of the day and it's just detrimental to all. So um, that's why this blame culture is really unhelpful. The alternative to blame is just going, okay, well, you know what, these things happen, okay? And that's often what people will say when people feel generally bad, something's gone wrong, is say, these things happen, don't worry about it. But actually, that doesn't help either. Um, Maybe there's occasional circumstances where that's true. You know, we all know that even with our best intentions, we can't cure everything. But are you sure? 
Or is there a better way that actually we can make sure that these things don't just happen? So that's why um, auditing events is important. So by doing a proper audit, you identify all the contributory factors. Okay, So the gaps and the inadequacies in the system as a whole, and not just in that individual person that was involved at the end. Um, and it identifies the factors both with the greatest impact and those which actually can be addressed. And those often aren't the same thing. So your greatest impact might be that you've got an absolute idiot of a horse, where you can't really do much about that. But maybe there's other small factors that you can address, which when you take those out of the equation means that that doesn't quite become a significant event. It becomes a little bit of a um, more near a miss. So those are things that we're aiming to do. And then just to remember, as we've sort of already mentioned, we can't eliminate error completely, okay? We're not superheroes, um, despite what some um, orthopedic surgeons may think. I'm allowed to say that, maybe in the small animal world more so. Um, we're not superheroes and we don't know everything, okay? There's forever more that we can, we can learn, but we can act to reduce it and we can act to prevent um, errors repeating themselves. So having some kind of formal structured um, investigation of events um, is already well established as we've already said in aviation, um, in military and all in nuclear industry so there's lots of evidence that it works, there's lots of evidence that it reduces kind of these events occurring um, and as, as we've also alluded to in human medicine it's kind of taking off so um, we're sort of on the last kind of a bit behind everybody else but it's been proven to be um, a good thing to follow. So most of this lecture I'm going to go through an example of using, um, so there's the RCVS knowledge have a significant event audit activity sheet Okay, so it's quite a long title, but it's basically a sheet to help guide you through how to analyse these events properly. So I'm going to use a real-life situation that happened to us um, and take you through the steps. It is quite a complicated, long case, and hopefully, you know, if these happens in practice, it won't be quite so in-depth, but it's quite a good case to kind of show the full use of the, of the form. So <coughs> this is the form um, in its whole. As I say, you can get it um, off, I believe, off the internet. You can print it out or you can complete, com complete it digitally. So for the first part, summarises the process to be followed. Okay, so it just summarises what um, the idea of the audit is, and then it has these six stages that you work your way through. Okay, and if you want to, you can put your practice details at the top of the form. Okay, so you can make it a more formal form that you scan in with the patient's history, or you keep in a file somewhere, and so you can individualise it if you'd like to. So um, it's important to note um, at the top that the it's sort of clearly stated that you need to discuss without blame and an honest and constructive feedback. Okay, so we've put that on there in writing just to kind of kind of bang home this message that it needs to be constructive and it needs to be a blame-free environment. So the first two stages are going to be um, awareness. So actually making your team aware that you, you need to record significant events and that you are going to audit them. Okay, people don't know about it, nothing's going to get reported. Um, and then you need to gather all your information together. Okay, so and this is facts. Okay, gather facts, not assumptions. Um, and then once you've got all those together, then you're going to arrange your meeting. So the um, yeah, so meeting and we're going to fully analyse um, what's going on. So the next step of the form really just take you through what you're going to do um, in that meeting. All right. So at the top, at the start of your meeting, you can put in the title, so a description of whatever it is you're auditing, the name of the case, um, some way of identifying what it is you're doing that day, um, the date of the event happened, the meeting, um, and then people present. And one thing that I would um, say is it's worth thinking about who is the appropriate person to lead that meeting. Um, now, typically, you, when you start implementing this in practices, kind of the practice manager or the, whoever the most senior vet is will often be the one that automatically takes that role. But I would actually say maybe they're not the best person to do this. If you want a non-confrontational um, meeting where people feel free to kind of speak up, it's very hard to kind of say to your boss that, um, you know, is paying you at the end of the day and kind of telling you how good you are, um, what you maybe feel like you've messed up on, even if you haven't messed up, that's kind of how often people feel when they're kind of admitting to that these events have happened. So maybe 
just think about who the most appropriate person would be and maybe that friendly receptionist that everyone goes to when they feel a bit tearful maybe they might be the right person so it's just something to have at the back of your mind so the first step then is going to be to describe what happened okay so a brief description or as brief as you can do um, of the event and the outcome um, and as I say we're just going to go with facts so this is going to be the case example that we've got today so we've got a 20 year old 500 kilogram gelding who was admitted for removal of multiple tail and perineal perianal melanomas um, it had these before which had been removed two years previously under epidural anaesthesia so at that time we gave 100 megs of xylazine um, diluted 10 mil and we had no reported complications in the horse's history so the horse was sedated in the stocks with detomidine and vitorphanol and we performed an epidural so 100 milligrams of xylazine and this time we added a bit of local anaesthetic so mepivacaine um, the reason being in that um, at that time we believed um, it provided better ana anaesthesia kind of coverage and also had a bit of a faster onset um, time so we thought we would try that. Um, it had been used a number of horses um, previously but obviously not in this case in the first situation. 15 minutes after the epidural we got hind limb ataxia um, but the horse remained standing. Um, laser removal was performed um, uneventfully um, and on completion we walked the horse out of the stocks which was approximately 45 minutes later um, and severe hind limb ataxia occurred and the horse fell into a dog sitting position. So now I want you just to have a think um, of what your initial reactions are. And these are all reactions that various people in the practice or people that have been involved in the case analysis afterwards came up with. So um, intern must have incorrectly performed the epidural. Maybe we didn't inject the right drug doses. So maybe we drew them up incorrectly. Um, maybe it wasn't actually the reported safe dose in the literature. This horse is just showing a bit of an odd reaction. Maybe it's just sensitive to the drugs. Um, sometimes this happens or just panic. Okay, so these are all responses people had. So maybe have a look at those, decide which one you agree with, or if you've got your own thought, um, put that in the back of your mind and we'll see whether that actually is what we come up with at the end of the um, audit. Okay, so we're going to continue then. So the horse was resedated, um, we anaesthetised it and moved it to the theatre recovery box. Um, we kept the horse anaesthetised for about three hours um, and then we allowed it to come, allowed it to come round of its own accord um, with head and tail ropes in place. So the horse tried to stand multiple times unsuccessfully um, and then finally when it did stand um, we locked the tail rope um, into a clutch system to provide support on the tail um, and then unfortunately the horse fell again and the clutch system jammed delaying the release um, and then finally it stood about four hours post epidural. So now I'm going to list what happened. So the horse developed um, facial um, paralysis and this resolved um, after about two weeks. These are some x-rays. Okay, so we've got multiple rib fractures on the right. We've got, um, we had a pneumothorax. We had um, thoracic effusion. And this thankfully resolved over about five days. And as you can see on the left, we've got quite a significant tail fracture. Continues. Tail fracture was associated with neurological dysfunction. So we had complete tail paralysis, loss of sensation, loss of skin sensation to the dorsal tail, reduced anal tone, which resulted in erectile impaction. And then the final outcome was the horse was discharged seven weeks after the epidural with marked muscle atrophy um, of the tail head and permanent tail paralysis and lack of tail sensation. So now I'm going to ask you again now, what do you think? So the ropes were used incorrectly. It was an unfortunate incident with the clutch system jamming. The horse woke up too soon. We know that equine recovery from anaesthesia is a known risk. Um, or just even more panic of what am I going to tell the owner? All right. So that's kind of the description of the case. So now we're going to actually look into it um, 
in more detail. So the next stage on the form is why did it happen? Um, and the easiest way to do this is to divide it up into different factors. Okay, you want to make sure you cover all of that iceberg um, and not just kind of go to the immediate obvious thing that's in front of you. All right, so this is a list um, of an easy way of dividing up the factors, and this is these are kind of on the form. Um, and you can divide these up further as much as you want, depending on how it's applicable to your practice. All right, so um, we're going to go through these um, in turn. So first of all, system factors. So I've listed here, relevant to this case, some system factors that may or may not be involved that we maybe need to consider at our meeting. So had the staff been provided with the correct knowledge and skills and experience? Um, was the intended help, so supervision, nurse assistance, etc., available? Were staff distracted at the time? Um, maybe there were too many demands, maybe they were overworked. Were the drugs and equipment checked properly? Or maybe the equipment failed? Were checklists or SOPs available? Or, or were they available but they just weren't sufficient? Um, did we have unrealistic expectations? Um, had there been a previous failure to respond to staff concerns? So maybe this had happened before and someone had raised it and nothing had been done about it. Maybe we didn't plan or prepare properly. Um, maybe staffing levels co contributed. Um, or did the culture of the cl clinic contribute? So was there kind of a culture of just get on and, and do it? All right. So those are just some examples of things that make them under system factors. So if we have a look first at epidural, when we went through all of these, the only one really that um, came up as, as a possible contributing factor was failure of checklists and SOPs. So in this, it was, is the SOP regarding the volume and the doses used in that practice for epidural injections um, appropriate? Okay, so um, the volumes that were used were based on um, somebody's literature search and, and opinions when that was written, but that was a few years previously, so has the literature changed? Maybe that's now outdated and maybe there's better better knowledge. Um, but that was the only one really that we could identify. So there was an initial assumption that the intern must have incorrectly injected the wrong drug volumes, um, but actually we had really good clear written notes um, as to how many mils, how many migs um, that that um, intern gave, and when we looked across it actually was exactly what was necessary. Okay, so the intern um, didn't mess up. Um, there was also a, another thought that maybe they placed the epidural in the wrong place. So you can see the clip patch on the horse on the left is actually, for any of you that are familiar with epidural, is quite high. Um, usually I would clip just above where the tail hairs start. Um, so there was a suggestion that oh, the intern obviously put it one place too, forward, too far forward. But if you look at the x-ray, you can see the gas bubbles, which um, are not uncommon following an epidural placement. And actually they are in the right place. So I think they just had quite an angled um, needle placement. So um, that also was an initial assumption which was proved incorrect. So now let's look at the recovery then. So in this case, we've got a few more um, factors that um, are probably contributing. So all of us agreed that probably there was low experience in the team regarding the rate recovery. So training was undertaken. Um, we would send our um, interns and nurses away to places that um, regularly did rate recovery um, and training you know, was done on a yearly basis, but unfortunately we had quite a high turnover of interns, so there was actually limited experience present on the day. And rope recovery um, isn't something that at that time was done as a routine at the practice. It wasn't possible for various reasons, so it was only really undertaken when things went wrong. Um, and actually we felt that in hindsight maybe it was um, unfair to kind of expect that team to be able to do that. Um, there's obviously a, queer, a clear equipment failure, the clutch system jammed, um, so that didn't do its job properly. And then the checklists and SOPs, um, certainly we decided that um, in hindsight, again, locking the tail um, rope with the clutch system, which actually is um, performed in quite a various clinics that I've worked in, um, seems to be quite standard in this case, we decided was one of the contributing factors. So we altered, um, you know, maybe that needed to be altered. And then secondly, um, there wasn't an SOP in place for what do we do if a horse goes down after xylazine, how long do we keep it asleep for? We didn't know, we guessed three hours, um, but was that appropriate? And that's something that actually um, we needed to look into. 
So now let's look at human factors. So did the staff make a mistake? Okay, we, we're not going to remove that completely. It's still part of the, of the um, analysis. Um, did they feel they could ask for help? Um, and then on the other hand, did they ask for help when they should have done? Um, were staff tired, stressed, distracted? Um, was support and supervision appropriate? Um, and were there issues maybe within the team, um, collaboration kind of attitude between staff members that contributed, maybe they weren't communicating well that day? Um, and then did, if the SOPs were in place, were they actually followed? So if we look at epidural, actually it was done perfectly. The intern um, did a brilliant job and there was no fault at all that we could find in that. If we look at the recovery, um, maybe as we've already alluded to, um, maybe that support and supervision of that team um, maybe could have been improved. So next we're going to look at patient factors. So was there something about the horse that predisposed to what happened? So presenting condition, temperament, um, breed. And if we look at the epidural, um, there was a question raised as to whether maybe the presenting condition, so these melanomas, maybe that had some impact on how the horse responded to, to the injection. We don't know. It was something that was raised as a possibility. So something for us to look further into. And then temperament, um, undoubtedly the temperament of this horse on its recovery certainly played a factor. It, um, it wasn't the most sensible of horses. Um, it just continued to keep trying to get up even though it couldn't, whereas um, perhaps some of them, some other more... Um, sensible cob breeze might have just sat there for a little while until it felt fully uh, fully awake so um, temperament certainly played a role which unfortunately we can't do much about so owner factors so did owner attitude did their finances affect the decision on how we managed that case throughout um, and actually we didn't really feel that it had any impact in this situation and then um, communication um, so this is the final one we're going to look at so um, Again, we're looking at team communication and changes in team members, um, kind of misinterpretation of instructions or misunderstanding instructions between individuals. So again, with the epidural, we didn't find any um, issues at all. And with the recovery, um, again, changing in the team members definitely had an impact. So we've now looked at all the contributing factors. And what we're now going to do um, is list what's been learned um, and also look at what changes we want to implement. So firstly, what did we learn from the epidural? So the epidural actually was performed as per instructed without any apparent mistake. Um, the staff actually during the meeting reported that they do remember some previous cases with similar ataxia um, and maybe this has happened before. Um, so we need to go back and have a look back at our records. Um, there was also further investigation needed as to whether the technique and the doses we used actually is, is what the current literature recommended. Um, also some investigation on whether the horses complained, so the melanomas might have contributed. Um, and generally there was a feeling that the staff all felt better after the meeting with proper assessment. Um, and the initial assumption that the intern had some blame was no longer present, so the intern certainly felt a hell of a lot better after this. So what's going to be changed? So we need to wait for a review meeting because these are all questions that we couldn't get the answers to. Um, so we need to go away and have a look both at our records and at the literature. If we now look at the recovery um, then and the subsequent complications after that, so um, there was a risk in the rate recovery setup identified in the clutch system. Um, so the SAP was actually followed, but um, as we discussed earlier, we decided it was inadequate. Um, training was carried out on use of rate recovery, but the high turnover of staff um, definitely contributed to the complications, and what we decided was training needed repeating and refreshing. So I think it's very easy in practice um, that you implement training and you then pass over to that individual. Well, you've been trained, you should now know what you do. Um, certainly where I work now, um, I have, end I have a very good health and safety department who send me endless um, PowerPoints to look at where I have to learn for every aspect of the practice, which is great, but um, 
I can guarantee you a week after I've done a half hour PowerPoint, I can remember the topic and maybe three points, but I don't know what was on page 15. Okay, so if you've got something that you're doing um, on an infrequent basis, such as rate recovery in this practice, um, and you train someone a year ago, it's completely um, kind of unfair to expect that staff member to remember everything exactly. At best, you can remember that you can expect them to remember that there is an SOP or there's some information somewhere in place, okay? Um, so this was where maybe um, the management let the team down. Um, the horse's temperament definitely played a role and as I said we can't really do much about that um, and then we decided we need to look into literature as to whether we kept the horse asleep for long enough so what are we going to change so the clutch system was changed um, the SOP was updated so we um, in the practice now never lock the tail rope um, and we also updated the SAP so there's always a trained um, member of staff either advising or in charge of the rate recovery so if the team were there and they realised that no one actually really felt confident that they knew what they were doing they would ring or um, call someone else to come and help so we had that as kind of a, just a thought point that everyone in the team just said hang on is there someone here that's happy to lead this um, we implemented regular refresher training on the use of the ropes um, and then, then we needed to wait the review meeting on how long we needed to keep a horse asleep if this happened again so if we go back to our six-point plan, um, the next stage is going to be to agree um, and implement those changes and importantly to monitor those changes. Um, and then the fifth point is to write it up. So either write it up so there's a record in your practice, um, but also what you can do um, or what we would encourage is if you've got something that you feel others can benefit from is write it up and let the rest of the um, veterinary profession know about it. Um, so you're going to arrange a follow-up, um, so the date of the review um, at the end of your form so that it's just a reminder for everyone that we're going to come back and look at this case. So um, additional audit was performed um, during the time um, after the discussion of the case and the follow-up meeting um, and we looked at our cases. So with the previous seven years we performed 30 epidural injections in 25 horses, so a number of those had, had an epidural on two occasions. Three out of the 30 developed ataxia, two out of the 30 became recumbent. And all of them presented with melanoma removal, which is probably not um, unsurprising. Um, it's one of the most common procedures that I can certainly think of that you'd need an epidural for. Um, eight out of the 30 received local anaesthetic as part of their injection, um, and the other 22 would only receive xylazine. Um, and all three of those with ataxia had received local anaesthetic. So we did literature search. Um, so there is suggestion in the literature that inclusion of local anaesthetic provided better anaesthesia with faster onset than xylazine alone. Um, but we found that in our cases, xylazine alone was sufficient in all of those 22 horses to perform the procedure. Um, the doses we used were actually um, less than the recommendation from pretty much every literature um, source that I could find. Um, and spinal melanomas were reported in the literature. Um, so perhaps a smaller epidural space um, might have caused more cranial spread of the injection in this case, but to be honest, we don't know. It was a, it was a possible assumption. None of the horses had neurological deficits. None of them showed signs um, that they had spinal melanomas, but it, it's a possibility. Maybe the, maybe the condition um, added to the complication, and that's why the literature doses were different to the ones we'd use. Um, and then looking at the reports and literature for the duration of motor nerve action of xylazine and the pivoting combinations, um, for epidural administration was basically lacking. Okay, so there's good evidence, or, or there's certainly some evidence, maybe not good, but there is some evidence of how long xylazine action lasts. Um, but there wasn't evidence for the combination. And what we do know very clearly is that if you mix multiple drugs together and give them by epidural route, the onset of action and duration of action is actually nothing related to the individual drugs alone. Okay, they seem to have synergistic and differing effects. So um, we don't know how long the combination lasts, was the conclusion. Um, maybe we didn't wait long enough. 
So um, additional changes which we implemented, um, we now perform epidurals for standing surgery alone, um, only using xylazine. Um, so we no longer implement, um, sorry, use local anaesthetic. Um, the cases that we had, there wasn't enough of them to actually be able to say definitively that local anaesthetic caused the problem. Okay, it might just have been coincidence. Um, but we personally felt that xylazine alone um, was sufficient in all the other cases, um, so we felt happier using it. And also because we knew, or there was more evidence for how long xylazine lasted for, if it did happen again, we felt more confident in how long we had to keep that horse anaesthetized. So we made that practice decision that that was what we would do. Um, so if we go back um, and look at the, the sheet again, um, the final step, stage six, which I um, alluded to earlier, so we've written it up for our practice, um, but report, share and, and review. So um, we did that and we actually wrote it up in EVE um, as a report of um, a series of cases um, and the complications that we'd had. So just to summarise then, analysing significant events um, allows a full assessment of all the contributing factors and removes that sole individual blame where often it's not actually the case. Um, it improves team morale, it improves willingness to discuss error um, and kind of implements an improvement culture within your practice. Um, it's important that the discussion is done in a non-accusational supportive environment um, and that kind of blame, capture, that blame culture um, kind of is removed as it generally results in people not wanting to report stuff and also just general despondency um, among staff if you don't actually act on it when they've kind of come up and been brave enough to admit that these things have happened. Um, just remember we can't eliminate error but we can learn from our mistakes um, and where no mistakes have been made we can question whether um, we are actually following best practice. So just the final couple of slides I've just put in just a practical application of this significant event auditing okay so basically just what I do personally. So um, where I work, we implemented a book to record significant events um, as and when they happen. Okay? And the important thing is it needs to be easy to spot. It needs to be visible in a non-threatening location. Okay? And I would personally say don't call it the significant event book. Mm -hmm. okay? If you come back and you've had a rubbish day and something's gone wrong, the last thing you want to do is go up to your boss's desk, ask for the big flattening black book that says, I fucked up today. <laughs> okay? So what we have is a bright um, pink book. Um, it sits um, in our pharmacy next to the computer where you log all the drugs in and out and it's referred to as the pink book okay and it's much easier to say to someone oh where's the pink book than where's that big black scary book all right um, I've implemented or trying to implement it now in where I work currently and I stupidly let the residents decide what they wanted and they have a bright pink book with a unicorn on that they call the unicorn of improvement so I mean you can call it what you like but I mean they they now love it and they're forever asking for the unicorn of improvement and if that means they write stuff down that's fine by me so, um, inside the front cover of the book, I have a definition of what a significant event is, just as a reminder, and also then a list of the contributing factors that they can go back to refer to. Okay, if you're tired at the end of the day, you don't want to have to sit there thinking of all the things. If you can have a, a list on the side that you can run through and go, system factors, you know, was reception involved, was I involved, was management involved, it's much easier and much quicker to go through. So, um, I have a list already printed out there um, that they can kind of refer to. And then how to fill in, so um, you just put a number, um, whatever the next number is following on from the um, input kind of previously, describe briefly what happened, um, list any of the possible contributing factors and any, any ideas um, for improvement um, after the event. And the key is to try and put this in when it's fresh in your mind, okay, so not two weeks later, three weeks later, kind of in the evening or the morning after. Um, if there's a large incident, such as the one that we've discussed today, um, that kind of needs a full sit-down analysis on its own, then um, we kind of have a way to indicate this, so we use kind of just an asterisk, all right? So this is an example then, so um, number one, 
So notice that we're not putting individual blame, we're just stating the facts. So an individual nearly drew up metatomidine instead of methadone. So I work in equine and small animal practice, so um, for those of you that aren't familiar, metatomidine, um, this is for a Labrador, you would maybe give it 0 0.1, 0.2 mils. Um, methadone, you probably give it a mil. Okay, so if you're suddenly going to give five times the dose of metatomidine, that's quite a lot of alpha-2 to a dog. All right, so that was the... Um, that's the significant event that happened. So they listed their factors as the individual performing the anaesthetic didn't check properly. I mean, they did try and draw up the wrong drug, so you have to take, um, put that in as a factor, you know, take some responsibility. But actually, what we also had was we had a new methadone supply and the bottles looked almost identical. So they were white labelled, um, 10 mil bottles with blue writing on. Um, that individual also being on call overnight had had a very busy shift in ICU and was rushing to get the first case of the day started. All right, so that is all they needed to write in there. Um, underneath they've just put suggested improvements, so the night duty vet um, was not to be allocated the first case of the day, maybe someone else that had a good night's sleep should be. Um, and then just to go back and say, do we really need to have methadone that looks identical, identical to metatomidine, or maybe we could go back to the previous supply where it looked quite different. So that, that was all they needed to put in. Then number two, so let's pretend now we had our complication with the epidural horse. This is obviously going to take up about 10 pages of our book. So instead we just put um, complication following epidural, developed ataxia and complications with recovery, requires individual analysis details recorded in full elsewhere. Okay, so we just put in our book as a reminder and somewhere else that um, whoever that had occurred to would scribble on a bit of paper, everything they remembered and we'd book a time for that another day. So what we do is we meet once per month and we go through each item um, through that book for that month and discuss um, those cases between us. And then what we do on the first clear page after the book, we write down any actions to be taken from that month's discussion, okay, including who will implement them. So if those were the only two cases in that month, we'd put um, look into methadone, change back to old one, um, implement that vet who'd been on night duty um, didn't do first case of the day. Okay, they, that, so we just bullet point those. Then we draw a line underneath when we're finished and then we're ready to start next month's um, numbering from afresh. And at the start of every month, we would briefly go back to the points that we'd made from the previous month, just run through them and check how they were getting on. Had they been implemented? Had it been improved? Did anyone have any comments before we start that month? And then at the same time, we'd schedule a date for any kind of asterisks, um, kind of larger events that we wanted to look at. So that's how um, I kind of practically apply it um, where I work. Um, generally, what I found is when you start this off, initially you have very few kind of inputs into your book. So people are a little bit hesitant, they don't quite know how it's going to go, they don't want to admit to things. Then generally as people realise the meeting's actually quite positive, um, you know, no one's going to kind of get blamed or kind of um, shot down, all of a sudden you get a flurry of all of those things that have been bugging people for the last four years that they kind of feel like no one's done anything about and maybe now's the time something might happen. Okay, so you get inundated with things um, and then it kind of settles down to somewhere in between. Okay, so that's kind of the pattern that I found whenever I've done this that seems to be followed. Um, and whereas we kind of say you have a non-accusational kind of a um, non-blame situation so we don't generally name people what I tend to find is that once people feel comfortable with it usually you'll start off by saying oh someone's put here an individual you know mixed up methadone someone will go oh that was me yeah this happened okay so you'll find that people become more willing to discuss and open up and um, kind of do that but what we will do is kind of not make it compulsory that we need to name people or shame people that's kind of not the aim of it um, and even if things seem kind of one-offs or um, kind of not um, related to each other what certainly I found we had a situation where I used to work where we had a nice steady um, kind of 
same number of things every month and then all of a sudden we got a flurry of lots of really silly errors none of them related none of them the same just sort of mistakes that people were making forgetting to turn oxygen on at the beginning of the day forgetting to check their ET tubes all sorts of little things like that which maybe all seem um, separate but then running through all of it we found that everybody was tired everybody was rushing around everybody felt overworked and actually what we realized was that um, we'd had an Easter sleeve um, and management still hadn't got around to um, getting a new anaesthetist six months later although everyone said it was fine and they were coping actually everyone was exhausted everyone was just um, doing their best and no one had quite realised that it was having an impact and we were all making these mistakes um, and when I presented this to um, management initially they all got very upset saying that they couldn't be blamed for what we were doing on a day-to-day -day basis and then when I said that we were writing it down and it was getting recorded they suddenly got a new anaesthetist very quickly <laughs> so things come out of it that you don't necessarily expect all right um, so just my final thought um, from this um, lady, um, Re-Admiral Grace Hooper, the most dangerous phrase in the languages, we've always done it that way, and if that's what you take away today from this, then um, hopefully I've achieved something. Thank you. For free courses, examples, and templates for quality improvement in your practice, please visit our quality improvement pages on our website at rcvsknowledge.org.